I'm going to press record here on GarageBand and make sure I'm getting levels. It looks like I'm getting a waveform. Can okay. somebody somebody talk? Okay. Oh, excellent. Now this is the waiting. sound of my voice. Oh, listen to somebody who listens to Dana Gould. All right. <laughs> Dana Gould. Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt this podcast to bring you some incredible news. We are under attack. Never before has this reporter seen such devastation, such destruction. Ladies and gentlemen, I fear the time has come for assault of the two-headed space mules. So grab a can of fermented weed and listen up. It may just save your life. everybody, welcome back to Assault of the Two-Headed Space Mules. I'm your host, Douglas Arthur, and today I've got with me uh, the uh, three core members of the Gooch Squad, uh, Brian Curtis, uh, hello, hello. Nashville, uh, Jim Fitzsimmons there in, uh, that's, that's in, me. in St. Paul, Minnesota. That's right. We got it right this time. And, <laughs> uh, of course, our pal uh, Michael Noble from the smoke-filled uh, California climbs. <laughs> He's coughing. Ah, cough. Yes, if he coughs uncontrollably during the show, you'll know why. Um, but uh, how, we, how close is that to to, to you, though? Fifty miles. Fifty miles. Oh my goodness! Well, that's, well. that's everybody's fifty miles from a fire, I think, uh, or closer. <laughs> <laughs> is my is my guess. But uh, we we are not here uh, today to talk about fires, unfortunately. But uh, um, we are here to. Um, kind of talk about a, uh, a fire that has been uh, extinguished, uh, a, a flame that, that uh, burned fairly bright for a long time and uh, gave a lot of people a, a, lot, of, a lot of joy. Um, we might get into some discussion of, you know, some of his uh, complications, uh, controversies, but uh, generally, you know, we're going to try to keep it positive. But uh, this week... Um, one of the most influential people of the last century, um, and, and certainly our lifetimes has, has, has passed away. And we were, we're talking of course about Stan Lee, the, uh, you know, editor emeritus of, uh, Marvel comics and the co-creator of so many of our, our, our cultural touchstones, um, you know, that, uh, that's really, um, piqued the interest of of the of mainstream pop culture these days it's it's really pretty amazing um what's happened but uh i convened the i convened the gang uh this time around to um you know kind of chat about stan and uh, his legacy and um you know some of our our fondest memories of of uh what he he meant to us so um i think uh this time we're, we're going to start around with brian uh brian is a uh, uh, 
I'm a, I always get this wrong. Is it adjunct or, or associate? Have you? I'm have, associate you, professor. You've, you've made it to associate. Okay, so I made it to associate. Brian is now an associate professor of uh, English down at Nashville State Community College down there in, in Nashville, and uh, he sometimes teaches a class on graphic novels. So he's, actually, I'm doing that in the spring. So oh, excellent, excellent. Mm -hmm. So I think you're uniquely qualified to, you know, speak about this subject a bit. So. And, and, and I have to tell you a, a fun story, just, you know, for Stanley sure. about that, too. I had a student once in one of my classes. It wasn't even a, a graphic novel class. They were talking about Spider-Man, and and they said, wasn't he in Chicago? I'm like, no, he's in New York City, Forest Hills to be exact. <laughs> and, he, and he goes, are you sure it's not Chicago? I'm like, this is the most sure thing I've ever said in this class. <laughs> <laughs> so, Wow. You know. Well, I guess, you know, that it could be true. I, I mean, I don't follow any of the other iterations of Spider-Man that have come out, uh, you know, Miles Morales and and uh, some of the other Spider-Gwen. I don't <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't even. Yeah, I don't even know where they where they're at. But, um, you know, what what um, what can you tell us from your perspective about about Stan and what he means to you personally? Oh, was he Stanley? I mean, you know, with all the you know the stuff with, with Kirby and everything. But my first experience with Stanley is that he was the narrator on Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends, mm. which was my first. Like, you know, I guess not the narrator. Yeah, I guess it was. That was the yeah. little overview before the. Yeah. And he was always like to me like the biggest cheerleader for Marvel comics. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he was he was a sim. To me, there were two symbols, and my, my brother and I talk about this all the time: is Spider-Man on top of the M, yeah, like walking uh, and. I have a, a pencil case with that on my on my work table here, with with the the I guess Ramita senior artwork, as I, as we always refer to it. My brother and I as the small eyes, Spider Man. It's our favorite, <laughs> and because you know Todd McFarlane gave him the huge eyes. We like the small That's eyes. That's right. But um, manga eyes. He was just like yeah, definitely, and he was our. He was just he was just the biggest cheerleader for comics, and it's one of those things, you know. It's like we wanted him to be taken seriously for so long, and he took him seriously. You know, and, and I just, I love that about him. And everybody says, you know, you have to sell the sizzle, not the steak. And he tried to sell the sizzle for good or bad. <laughs> he tried to, you know, he made me a true believer. I'll just say that. There, <laughs> there you go. I'm literally facing front right now. Now, so there we go. <laughs> Face front, true believers. <laughs> exactly. Now, um, in your class, uh, do you do you talk about Stan and and what he, oh, he, meant, he meant? So, well, we talk about you know, especially when we go through like the history of everything, you know, because you after you know Frederick Wortham and sadly a Tennessee senator, I think it was Estes Kefauver, yes, who you know yeah, uh -huh. helped. Uh, yeah, he's a butthole, but um, <laughs> he saved us here. from comic books. He did. I'm glad he <laughs> saved. And, I'm, and I'm, I'm in a room right now filled with them. So there we go. Yeah. It was him and Gary Gygax. They're all in the Well, <laughs> he he was indirectly responsible for the creation of Mad Magazine, so. That's true. So well, take that. As as we know it. I mean, Mad, Mad Magazine existed before sure. the uh, right. Comics Code, but uh, mm -hmm. it was basically the only thing that survived from EC Comics. Right, After. yeah. So he sort of destroyed EC Comics, but out of those ashes arose Mad Magazine. Yes. So th therefore, we can't what me worry anymore because we don't have to. So there we go. But um, 
the thing about you know it's, it's like you know he wanted to do superhero or I don't know if he wanted to do superhero books. I always heard the story goes you know there's lots of stories with Stanley that mm-hmm. he was when he would create the Fantastic Four that his his wife said just write the kind of book you want anyways because you're going to quit, and so creates the Marvel Universe, saves superhero books I'd say, mm-hmm. you know and. The, that's the cool thing about it is that you know he took it seriously there's people you know started getting fan mail he said from like high schools then it was colleges then it was college professors and you know long before i you know i crawled among this earth he was a big deal <laughs> but he took the material seriously you know and it's my whole life i was always like take comics seriously take comics seriously and now i've kind of been a bit you know don't take them so seriously don't take them so seriously <laughs> Well, that's that's true. You get a little bit of uh, of um, uh, of notoriety, a little bit of uh, you know validation, and uh, it suddenly can turn in the other direction. <laughs> Definitely, you know, it's one of those things. And and it's one of my things too about Stanley. And this is one of the things I really wanted to talk about. I was thinking about this. He created with the Marvel Universe a perfect stone soup place for people to play in. I went to a convention once and I met Mark Wade. And he said, you know, when he wrote Captain America, it was one of his favorite things to write. He goes, but I was always on the, in their sandbox. And he's like, that wasn't a bad thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that I'm, you know, adding to it. Because it's like, you know, I love Stan Lee, but, you know, that wasn't my, his, his stories weren't my first Marvel comics. He weren't, they weren't my first Spider-Man stories. Right. You know, right. Right. You know his, you know, his X-Men didn't sell well. It took, you know, Chris Claremont and John Byrne. I've learned so much about them. I still <laughs> like the books, though. But... <laughs> Well, you know, it's like I think he gave us that universe that we could all we all came in at different spots, but it was mm-hmm. like a nice playground for us, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, it's it's funny. You know, you mentioned that, but you know, some of those early comics just weren't successful. I mean, uh, even the Hulk was basically canceled after six issues. Right. Uh, but mm-hmm. but they revived. They kept the character around and and in the universe, and then they eventually found a way to bring him back, you know, full time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, same thing, um, you know, some of the other characters like Thor were basically, you know, he was, he wasn't the full, uh, the full book for Journey into Mystery. He was only a part of the book. Um, I think right? Dr. Strange was a backup. And Dr. Too, right? Str- Dr. Strange was mm-hmm. a, was a backup. Um, mm-hmm. you know, they kind of brought things in. Now that was partly because of some of the res- restrictions that they had, uh, back in those days with their distribution, um, there was only one distributor or, or so the, the distributor that they were using was owned by the company that owned DC comics at the time, uh, which I think was before, um, which was before time Warner bought them. Uh, oh, and, yeah. and, uh, they only allowed Marvel, like, I think six titles a month or something. Um, so uh, they were limited in the number of comics they could they could put out every month, and it wasn't until like the late '60s, early '70s, where a lot of those restrictions got um, got lifted, and they were able to f- kind of flood the market after that. But they were they were limited uh, to the number of titles, so I think that had something to do with some of those uh, you know um, you know uh, twinning of of characters you know i think submariner mm-hmm. and uh and um, captain america and captain iron america man. you know and iron, iron man, man and submariner yeah, yeah they they all kind of shared a title um, mm-hmm. for a while there until they could get their own their own books um but um but yeah he um 
that you you you've touched on a a kind of a famous story that Stan likes to tell, and you know whether it's true or not, who knows? Uh, you know, I, I think he told a lot of stories over and over again to the point where you know they seem like they could be true, but um, you know the um, you get. If any of you have any of you read, um, there's a really great book called um, "The Secret Origins of Marvel Comics," and it's by Sean Howe. Um, no, it's a it's a pretty big paperback or uh, um, hardcover book that came out maybe like five or six years ago. This guy used to be a writer for Entertainment Weekly, and uh, it's, it's a really great overview of of Marvel all the way from the beginning. You know, back in the 30s. All the way up through, you know, you know, more recent modern times. Although, uh, fortunately, in my mind, you know, it, it really kind of skimps on, you know, the 90s and up. Uh, doesn't quite get to the movie uh, section. But the most interesting stuff is actually, you know, it really gets into a lot of Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, and and all mm -hmm. of that. So it really gets into the the mythology, the you know, the the behind the scenes stuff that you know, is, is interesting. And some of the stories that, you know, you may already know and so on, but, but, uh, but the, the story that you, you mentioned, Brian, about, um, he was going to quit. He was 40 years old in 1961 or thereabouts. Uh, and he, he'd been, he started writing comics when he was 17. His first credit is in Captain America number three, in 1941 and um you know he he was he had aspirations of being a, a novelist and a great writer and that's why he changed his name to stan lee uh from stanley lieber um and uh and so he was like i'm i'm gonna quit i'm but his boss had wanted him to do create a superhero team book because dc had revived the justice league um, a few years earlier and was was having some success with it. So, um, you know, she, according to Stan, his wife, his wife <laughs> told him, uh, you know, why don't you write the kind of story you want to write? Uh, the worst they're going to do is fire you. You're going to quit anyway. So just write the story kind of story you want. And that's what he did with the Fantastic Four. And it's a huge difference you look at the comics of that era uh, especially the dc comics and you look at fantastic four and it there's a, a huge thematic difference you know a huge mm -hmm. tonal difference um the characters even though they're you know still cartoony and and their dialogue is is uh <laughs> flowery and so on there's sure there's there's a there's a humanity there there's there's a realism there um you know they fought with each other they bickered with each other they taunted and teased each other they um you know they loved each other there was mm -hmm. there was uh you know there was something to it that just worked um, well the the fantastic four were a family right and and lee created them that way or co-created them that way or something and you're talking about you know it, it had to have something to do with lee making the changes in, in the attitude of comic books at, at that point he it, it kirby had been in comic books forever right and if he had been and, and lee of course had been in comic books for a long time too 
but it, he I don't know I, I put some credibility in the fact you know write it the way you want to write it because uh, one of the things that Marvel Comics did was uh, it set everything in the real world that's you know, true the, the Fantastic Four ship was in Fantastic Four number one wasn't he uh, I think so yeah because they, they wanted to beat the Russians yeah, you know, we can't yeah. let the Russians beat us. They were, they were in the real world, so we had Cold War kind of stuff happening. We had New York City, mm-hmm. you know, we had we had actual locations, and DC had, you know, Metropolis and Gotham. But you know, which we could say, well, you know, Metropolis is probably New York, and Gotham is probably Chicago or something like that. But it, it part of what part of Stan or Stan's genius was to let's make this part of the real world. Let's make the characters. And this is a point that I've been making a lot and a lot of people make. Let's make the characters have problems that our, some of our readers might have and be able to identify with. Right. Family's not getting along. Spider-Man had to worry about getting his homework done uh, and girlfriend troubles and dealing with bullies even though he could kick their ass if he wanted to. You know, it's like, See, but he had to be careful because he had superpower. He could kill that's them. That's right. And right. with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> and, 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 and Aunt May was always in peril. You know, she, yeah. and it's it, and She so, made wheat cakes. So that's always a good thing. So Stan made, I don't know, the characters were just, like you said, they were just just completely different from what comic books had going for them for before. And DC took a long time to catch up even after Marvel kind of showed them, here's what you should be doing. Make your characters relatable. And, and it took DC a long time <laughs> to get that figured out. It did. Uh, probably a good 10 years at least until mm-hmm. i mean the the thing that i can probably remember that changed it was probably when neil adams came in and started mm-hmm. doing that's right some and, of the denny stuff he did. and denny o'neill yep. and they you know did the whole you know speedy as a heroin addict uh um mm-hmm. storyline and 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 some of the some of the storylines they did with green lantern there's that famous you know thing where the 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 African American gentleman uh, confronts Green Lantern. He's like, "You're always fighting for the blue skins and the orange skins, but when are you gonna, you know, fight for the brown skins?" You know, he and mm-hmm. he, and you know, Green Lantern is just kind of shocked because he doesn't yeah. he doesn't know what to say. Um, mm-hmm. And it was just you know stuff like that. They it, it took them a while to kind of catch up. Um, you're right. Yeah, yeah. And What's another thing? Oh, sorry. Well, that's and that's an influence of Stan Lee there. When, I mean, when did he write the? You know, we're we're hearing a lot about the his soapbox column. Right. When did he write the soapbox column that dealt with racism? You yeah, know, in relation that was, to that story. It, I yeah. mean, the guy, uh, he was important. And you know, um, I know we're probably going to touch on the controversy of who created what and how much work Stan did and who you know exploiting artists and all that kind of stuff, but. Uh, Brian had said it. You know, he was an ambassador for of comic books, not just Marvel comic books, but That's comic true. books. Right. If comic books might have just petered out, had it not been for Stan Lee providing a spark. And you know, uh, I made this point in the blog that I wrote back when he turned ninety-five, and you guys helped me out with it. Oh yeah. Um, I made this point. I said it may be different today, but it wasn't too long ago when you would walk up to somebody who who wasn't a fan of baseball, didn't know anybody in baseball, but you ask them who's a baseball player and they would say Babe Ruth. Today, you walk up to somebody and you say, who is a comic book creator? And they're going to say Stan Lee. They're not going to say Neil Adams. They're not going to say Jack Kirby. They're not going to say, unless they're a comic book collector like us. But if you walk up to somebody who doesn't know comic books, they know Stan Lee. And, and 
and the fact that anybody knows who Jack Kirby is today, or Steve Ditko, or any of the other artists that followed uh, uh, you know, with Stan when Marvel was created, it's because we know Stan Lee. Yeah. Comic books might have just died without him. Well, he made them cool too, and like you were part mm-hmm. of a group, like the Mighty Marvel Merchant Society, and yeah, and the Marvel No Prize, and all that. They stuff. picked up on the college, you know, the college kids were picking up on the comic books because of Stan, because of the way Stan wrote and or you know the or he just who he assigned to write the way the everything was set up i mean he's he's got the ball rolling yeah and and, it, for that and he um he used to tour colleges even back in the mm-hmm. 60s he would tour colleges and give talks and and so on so it, it was definitely catching on um very quickly and very rapidly in in those circles for sure um i like the fact that he loved the word comics it's almost like you know in my in my field I can't say comics. I have mm. to say everything's a graphic novel, and then there's a part of me that wants to go, actually, trade paperbacks are 12 issues. Watchmen's a trade paperback because it was 12 issues. You know, you know and, what I mean? And I'll say that, that the, the personal influence on me... It was a you know, serialized. I'm a, I, I'm, a, I'm a cartoonist, and there are a few people that I, you know, that I credit for sparking an interest in doing artwork uh marie sendak and his book where the wild things are oh yeah and and i and i you know the more i think of it you know there were specific artists at marvel comics but it really boils down to stanley and marvel comics i was a marvel comics kid when i was a kid yeah their comic books excited me i was interested in them i wasn't interested in dc comics where superman had to eat thousands of hamburgers in order to save the world or whatever that story was. But that makes him a hero because I want to do that. <laughs> he was uh, Kobayashi before Kobayashi. That's right. And never gained an ounce. So, you know, so Stan, you know, their direct influence on me when I wrote the piece that I did for, um, uh, you know, the day he died, uh, when I read it back to myself, I had the feels at the end. Yeah. <laughs> that imagine. doesn't happen to me very often. Yeah. I can't imagine. <laughs> But I mean, even as a kid, like I didn't know who Stanley was, but I knew who Stanley was. Mm-hmm. You know, I saw him. He was very, you know, visual. He was there. You know, he was on every book. Stanley presents everything. And, and he would show up on that Wonderama show. Yeah, Wonderama. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I remember that. But uh... I'll put in. I'll put in my two cents as something, and and kind of bounce off of what Brian said. Um, I agree with every everything that everybody said, but also what Stanley did, I think he picked the ball up and ran with it with regard to promotion. Mm, uh, definitely. With regard to uh, putting himself out there. And it's just a theory of mine, but I don't think anybody else really wanted to do it, wanted to be that vocal, um, setting themselves up for a possible fall, especially with comics being, you know, kind of a lower kid-friendly not necessarily acceptable medium for for storytelling and stan's even said that but man was he always out there like 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 i don't know who said jim or douglas um you i think you said it jim that unless you know comics unless you know artists and writers and whatnot uh, of course you know who stan lee is but for those who don't uh i think his promotion and his grandstanding and his P.T. Barnumishmas were what made people not in the know know who Stan Lee was and know he was associated with comics. Well, that's the thing. Huge part, huge part of it. 
Well, have you guys ever read uh, Bradford Wright's comic book Nation, The Transformation of Youth Culture? Have not read that. I can't one. say I have. It's a really good book. He mentions in it that, you know, in the 50s when all that, that mess happened with, you know, Seduction of the Innocent, he said, you know, like there was a moment that the comics could have, you know, they were huge already, but then they lost it. And if it wasn't for somebody like Stan Lee, they would have never got it back. What gains we made afterwards were because of him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. TV stole everything from, you know, youth culture. Yeah. Right. I mean, the smaller companies were not doing much. EC went out, you know, that was, we were talking before we started talking. Uh, Brian brought up Estes Kefauver. He was a senator, I believe, that uh, mm-hmm. had a subcommittee looking into uh, juvenile delinquency and comic books leading to the ruin of a nation because EC Comics, which was fantastic. I, I did not know much of EC Comics until later, much later in life, and I've been looking at stuff. Boy, the the art level, the story oh, writing level, just the, they were the cream of the crop at the time. But, you know, thank you, U.S. Senate, for putting them under because they came up with this comics code and and uh, William Gaines, the publisher, said, I'm not doing that. So he took his Mad Magazine and created a magazine that wasn't covered by the code. Right. And he just killed everything else of EC. He just killed it. And those artists had to, you know, work go off elsewhere. But before Marvel Comics in 1961, I mean, you had DC was doing okay. But the other companies were probably just petering out. And, uh, you know, we didn't have superhero uh, you know, DC was about the only one doing superheroes because they had this, these well-established characters that still sold. I don't know how well they were doing. Do you think DC would have survived had not Marvel come along? No, because their stuff was as stale as I'll get out. You only had three superhero books. Well, mm-hmm. you know, they they had started a little bit of a revival there in the late 50s, uh, you know, when they brought the flashback in uh, mm-hmm. showcase number four um, and uh, – and they started. They kind of, you know, revamped. They had the the new look Batman, mm-hmm. um, you know. Although I think the new look Batman came a little bit later, um, but uh, but they had started to revive some of their characters um, there in the late fifties, just before um, the Marvel, you know, Fantastic Four bomb dropped, um, mm-hmm. you know, and and they had brought the Justice League back, which was kind of the impetus for. Um, the Fantastic Four, and uh, you know Jack Kirby had been working for for DC. Um, he had done the Challengers of the Unknown. That was also a, one of those late fifties, um, mm-hmm. late fifties books. So DC had been trying to, you know, to to um, revive because there had been quite a lull and sales had dropped precipitously uh, after the you know after the, uh, the the hearings and the and the creation of the comics code um, you know the you know at their peak you know comics just after World War two you know were selling millions and millions of copies a month um, you know some of the best-selling books like um, you know Captain Marvel uh, the original Captain Marvel that were selling upwards of two million copies an issue uh, which is those numbers like that have never existed since. No, no, they haven't. Um, you know, Superman was selling a million copies an issue, um, but yeah, you don't see those numbers anymore. But but what happened was, you know, it was uh, comics were a, a very uh, cheap uh, and easy and portable entertainment for for uh, soldiers during during the war, and mm-hmm. 
so they became uh, they became very ubiquitous, and and that's part of what led to the rise of easy EC Comics. Actually, was that you had these soldiers who would come back, and they were kind of craving more comics, but they were also kind of craving more adult stories, right. um, and that's what gave rise to that. And, and the and the crime comics from Charles Biro, and um, you know mm-hmm. some of those some of those other um, kind of very kind of film noir styled uh, you know, well comics. even other genres too like the romance comics were big with girls yeah oh huge you know what I mean like yeah what are they talking about now it's like we want to get more you know female audience female, female creators yep. you had that but you lost it yeah they, mm-hmm. they lost it exactly and it was partly well, was, partly because well, this, because of that the, yeah the, because of the superhero genre exploding back into prominence and um, so so there was a lull there in the in the mid mid to late 50s um, quite quite a lull and um, the, you're absolutely right I think they eventually would have petered out um, you know completely maybe not completely I think comics are always going to be around um, oh definitely you know but I think you know it, it, it certainly would have the end would have come more quickly <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um but, you know, Marvel, you know, what Stan did um, just really kind of um, rejuvenated the, the whole thing. It was, it was kind of amazing. You know, they didn't, they, they didn't overtake DC right away. Um, but uh, over the course of, I think, I want to say it was like six or seven years, they finally um, had the sales numbers to, to beat DC. Um, mm-hmm. had, you know, they they had better sales than DC overall, um, which was tough to do because they were limited to the number of books they could publish. Um, but they did it, and it was because mm-hmm. of the quality of the the work they were doing. Yeah. Um, with regard to uh, DC's uh, 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 lull and petering out, as you mentioned, Douglas, um, that was ripe for Stan to do what he did so dynamically in putting some of these characters together and giving a different take on the superhero genre and uh, storytelling in and of itself. Because, um, uh, like you said, uh, with DC in a lull, uh, it was the perfect time for Stan to do that. And uh, and another thing, um, I, I think there's an unsung hero out there and that's uh, Stan's wife, Joan. She actually gave him the, the okay and and pushed him into saying, you know what, you were planning on uh, doing something else with your career anyway. You have nothing to lose, so write the story that you want to write. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that was a tentpole moment for him. Um, yeah. The launch of this thing where he where things really went wild. Um, and, you know, like I said, it, it took a while for, for things to catch up with DC but um, and, and overtake DC, but uh, that's that's where the seed was planted right there. I think. Yes. Yeah, I agree. But but what what what's interesting to me is that, you know, you look back at some of the old issues and I and I used to, you know, collect a lot of the older, you know, Marvel comics back when they were still relatively inexpensive to <laughs> to collect and now it's like impossible um but you know you you get 
more out of the comic than you do from like a collected reprint because you get all of the, oh definitely you get the ads but you also get all of like the letter pages you get the mm-hmm. um you get the uh, bullpen bulletins and so on that 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 they created which came along a few you know a few years later but they really interacted um with their fans in a way that hadn't really been done uh, certainly by dc or mm-hmm. or marvel in the in the past and and that was all stan's idea he was like he mm-hmm. wanted to create a relationship with the readers that didn't exist before and, Wait, and think oh sorry well think and, about some of the people that have actually t- given given letters to marvel Sure. George R. R. Martin wrote Marvel comics all the time. Yeah, Wendy Wendy Penny met her husband Richard in like Silver Surfer. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's like Elfquest. So yeah, that, that, that's there true. was there was something I saw on uh, Facebook. Uh, a fellow inclu- included, uh, I think, when he was a kid, he wanted to get a hold of the three annuals. I don't know what they were. He sent he sent coins. He sent like three quarters to. Uh, the subscription department asking for those those uh, uh, those issues, and he got the. I think they sent his money back, and they kind of said, you know, screw off, kid. And uh, he wrote a letter to Stan Lee, and uh, Stan Lee wrote him a letter back, and they they posted it on the Facebook, and I can't remember, but there was Stan had a way with language. He had a way with wording things, which makes me think that you know he did more writing than sometimes he's given credit for. You know when they when Kirby wanted to say I wrote all that stuff and Dan just gave me a, a basic idea. I, I you know he, the way he worded this to the kid, he's he he was writing back apologizing for the, the treatment. Uh, he gave sort of a a heads will roll in a flowery Stanley type of, of language. You, you could tell he wrote that. You could just hear his voice because we know Stan so well because of all his appearances. We, we, we just, we know the man's voice and the, how he talks. Yeah. And he sent those kids, he sent the kid the three comic books that he wanted uh, for no charge and all that. And, and that was, that's, you know, that's part of him being the endless promoter. You know, you make one fan happy. You got that fan for life. You know, you got, you know, that's part of his deal there, but he, you know, how many other publishers would take that kind of time? And uh, and like I said, that the way the letter was written, that certainly sounds like Stan. So that that picks up on all these 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 things that that he would write in comic books. Like he turn a phrase like a, Avengers Assemble and it's clobber in time, and the hoary you know, host of Hoggins. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like uh, it, it's you know that's got to be Stan. <laughs> 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 exactly exactly um you know and and that and that certainly you know dovetails into you know something i had wanted to to, to bring up but um you know he was so busy doing pretty much everything i mean he he, the, he liked to create this um atmosphere you know this this vision that the you know the marvel bullpen was this teeming uh, you know, uh, frenzy of, of, of artists and people working together. And, uh, in reality, it was like six people, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it, it was, it was just a small group of people and he was trying to oversee, you know, um, you know, uh, all the titles. I mean, he was basically the only writer on staff for a long time. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, mm-hmm. he employed his brother, uh, Larry Lieber, uh, you know, for, for, for some of it. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, he brought in, um, 
you know, Roy, Roy Thomas, uh, probably in like 1965, I think Roy Thomas came mm -hmm. in. Um, mm -hmm. So, but, but for a while there, he was pretty much the only writer. And so he created, in order to help streamline the process, which is in part genius and in part, you know, one of the reasons we have this quote unquote controversy, um, you know, today is that, you know, he created the, the Marvel method of doing comics, which, you know, in the old way was here's a script, uh, draw, for, draw my script. But mm -hmm. now, uh, what he did was he did shorthand with uh, all his artists and he's, he's like, we're, they sat down and they had a plotting session and he'd say okay here's a, here's this here's the general gist of the story uh in a couple of paragraphs um why don't you go draw it and then bring it back and i will fill in the word balloons in the captions right. um and so you know he would give plot points and so on but uh, you know, it was kind of up to the artist to do the storytelling, you know, to do the visual storytelling, um, you know, and he'd come back and fill it in. So it, it allowed him to be the writer on multiple titles, um, mm -hmm. and also run Marvel comics, <laughs> you know, cause mm -hmm. he was also, you know, doing, uh, you know, a lot of the, you know, the promotions and, and everything else. So he, he was, he had his fingers in everything and he was just super busy because he loved it, you know? And, right. um, and, and I think, you know, that, that was a kind of innovation that allowed the comics to kind of stop being stiff because the art, you know, I think the artists were allowed to be part of the creative process. Now, of course mm -hmm. that, you know, gets us into issues of, you know, who created what, who did, who did what, um, you know, and I think that's especially true with Spider-Man and Doctor Strange, um, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. uh, because I, I think even Stan at one point admitted that Doctor Strange was pretty much formed full cloth from, from Steve Ditko's imagination. Um, right. And uh, the origin of Spider-Man's a little more murky, um, mm -hmm. in part because, uh, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but there was actually a costume, yep. a Halloween yeah, costume that had come out like a couple of years before Spider-Man existed. That looks awfully like Spider-Man <laughs> and, and the, 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 the tricky part of that was that Jack Kirby worked for that company. Right. And, oh my! And I've never heard this and in my entire life. And it's possible that he designed that costume, but there, there, there's no. I mean, that's kind of speculation. But he mm -hmm. did work for that Ooh. company. He did work. It was it was it Ben Cooper? Yeah, probably. Something. They made a ton yeah. of those costumes. Yeah. Yes. But, yes. But that you know, but that only adds to it because then you know, supposedly Stan came up with the idea for Spider-Man, and he asked Jack to kind of. Uh, draw it, but then he thought Jack's drawing style was too heroic. He wanted Peter Parker to be more, you know, and Spider-Man to be more teenagery, more nerdy, and then mm -hmm. he decided to, you know, give it to Steve Ditko. But mm -hmm. you know, Ditko has kind of a different, <laughs> a different mm -hmm. take on how things went. And Jack, you know, in the, any interviews that I had read with him on the subject, he couldn't fully remember all the details of. You know, he's like, well, I remember 
you know, drawing the cover, uh, you know, and, and coming up with some designs, but I don't know if that was before or after, you know, uh, so, uh, you know, it's just, they were just working too much, you know, too, too quickly and too much to, to, you know, care about those details and they certainly had no concept that you know 20 30 40 years later it would be a billion dollar industry they were just you know they were just happy to make their page rates pay their rent and and have food on the table and Uh, work in the industry yeah and 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 work in an industry that they loved well can can i try to make a point oh sorry and their their page rates (laughs) yeah where it's we're just awful yeah (laughs) Yeah, it's it's amazing how little. They're still kind of awful it, too. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> image image tried to correct that, but I think they tried. They ended up overcorrecting. And, and by the way, the image thing, and I wanted to kind of add to this too, though. Notice of all the things you guys said that everybody at Marvel did, image had all the technology. They had all the hot artists and everything, and they couldn't even put a book out. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. still waiting for Wetworks number two. <laughs> well, when well, image cares probably, but see that when image started, that was in a dark time in comic book art for me. <laughs> uh, that that nineties uh, where somebody said everybody draw like Todd McFarlane, and, yeah, that's what and and everybody ink like Scott Williams, and it just it just became lines 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 lines. <laughs> Oh, it's just, it's like, God. I'm looking at a, a Jim Lee X-Men thing right now. Right. In, and in Jim, Lee was, Jim Lee was good. Oh, Jim, I love Jim he Lee. was good. And, and actually he, he worked, he worked his style around. He would change his style up a little bit as he, as he went. Uh, so when image came out, it means it's like every book looked like Liefeld and, and McFarlane. Right. Even, you know, even though they had a number of artists, they all started to morph together now. And this is a, a compliment to image comics. I you know I I haven't bought new comic books for a long time, but I work at a comic book store, and so I'm seeing stuff. And it's and I was telling the owner of the store, a friend of mine, or the uh, uh, the manager of the store, I said, you know, Mar- Image now seems to have the most diverse looking art uh, now, but that they did not have when they started. It was all right. very homogenous. Everybody well, on, on the writing things. side too, though, you noticed they're more, they're more, they're kind of more known for their writing now. Well, see, but I don't read them. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and you're better for it. No. Oh, well, I, I don't know. Am I? Well, they certainly. I don't, I don't know either. They certainly I'm take. I'm starting to get this. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no. They they certainly take more chances now than they than they used to. Um, mm-hmm. they, they you know the the Walking Dead, um, is is it is it is an image book and and they've done mm-hmm. a, they've done a bunch of different things. They even published. Um, one of my favorite cartoonists, Bob Fingerman, did a did a series called Minimum Wage, which I love. Mm-hmm. Ab- absolutely one of my favorite comics of all time. And but it's not superheroes, and it's you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's uh, it, it, it's it's just weird to see an image logo on those books. But um, it's partly because the guys at Image are are like me; they love comics and. They they love Bob Fingerman's work as much as 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 I do, and and they said we want to put out we want to put out a Bob Fingerman book, and boom, they did it. Well, you know what you guys are, are talking about too, though it's interesting about Stanley and Marvel and everything. We each got into Marvel comics at different times, mm-hmm. but right, here's yeah. the thing: how many of us got in with with Jack or, or not Jack Kirby with Stanley writing or Jack Kirby drawing? 
No, I you know my I started must have been about like seventy three. Yeah. So that was in the Roy Thomas Marv Wolfman yep. era of, mm-hmm. of writers, and Steve and Gerber came in soon. And I was just a couple yeah. years. I was just a couple years later, like seventy four, seventy five. Mm-hmm. Um, right around the time the new X-Men launched. Because actually, one of the first right. comics I bought is X-Men 95. Wow. So, oh, there you go. So, See, that's when I started seriously collecting comic books. When it got to, you know, I started with just like a, I like that cover and buying that. I like, you know, it was like I was hit and miss. Uh, long about 1977 or 78, a friend of mine in, in school at the time was really influencing me. His collection was so cool. And it was all Marvel. And you know, and he had runs, and he was telling me, "Well, yeah, there's a storyline that runs through all this stuff." And and he was, you know, his his collection was so much more interesting. And that's when I started collecting in earnest. And of course, it was it was Marvel. I was I, I'd been established as a Marvel kid early on, uh, even though once in a while you get a Charlton book or a, a Dell thing or, or or DC. I liked it. I liked the Demon. I thought that was kind of cool. You liked but, the distinguished competition. Yeah, but it just it just it Marvel just really grabbed us as kids. I don't it, 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 I don't See, know I what it, it, go well, for I it. from a, from a from a different perspective too because the DC books I liked were heavily influenced by Marvel. I'll give you the list. I'm looking up I'm looking up at all my trades now. New Teen Titans, Marvel Wolfman, mm-hmm. George Perez, Marvel influence. They mm-hmm. did they um, did Fantastic 4. They worked on the Fantastic 4 together before that. See? Mm-hmm. Uh, the Wonder Woman that George Perez did redefine the character, heavily Marvel influenced. Justice League International, Marvel. Seventies mm-hmm. Batman, Marvel. You know, <laughs> right, 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 right. And 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 Byrne, John Byrne, who oh, yeah. who came up in, and helped and helped to uh, uh, well helped create, helped develop one of the most popular characters in comic books, Wolverine, who at the yep. time when he took over the, uh, the art on uh, the X-Men, Wolverine was even being thought of being killed off because he just, they didn't know what to do with him. But I guess John Byrne knew what to do with him. And, and, and he will. and Claremont worked together to create such a character. But then, so, so, so Byrne had a, a flair for writing and he, he, you know, they, Marvel put him on, uh, a Fantastic Four for a couple of runs. The first time they put him on there, he was he was he was working with Joe Sinnott, who you know it, it was a great anchor, but you put him with certain artists, and it looks like Joe Sinnott. Yeah. It doesn't look like John Byrne, not much. Anyway, so and then Byrne did another run where he was writing, and he you know he did this thing where he revitalized these these stories where he would go and say. You know, we've gotten away from where the Fantastic Four's roots were. Let's go back and let's let's draw them the way Kirby would draw them, and let's 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 you know because you know Reed Richards was looking like he was Captain America. So no, 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 he's That's a true. he's an intellectual. He's a skinny guy. He's a stretchy guy. He shouldn't yes. be looking like Mister Buff. And and then so and then Byrne went over to DC and he started doing that with uh, with Superman. Let's let's figure out his origin and. Let's you know. Let's make him more Marvel. <laughs> Another set of books I have: Su- Superman, Man of Steel, the John Byrne ones. There yeah. you go. The yeah. first Superman I ever read, and about the only Superman I've ever read. Yeah. Oh, I, I started reading a whole bunch of them after a while, but yeah. But you know that you mentioned the John Byrne Fantastic Four. That was my Fantastic Four growing up, mm-hmm. and that, I, I got into X Men about. Uh, I, I can tell you the covers. It was uh, when Wolverine was fighting Sabretooth a bunch. In the mm-hmm. mid '80s, 
Mm-hmm. And I've, I've talked to friends that are older, and they're like, that's when I got out of it. It's almost like mm-hmm. we could we would come in and out of it because of yeah. what it what it was at its core. Right. You know, and like now I won't touch an X-Men book. You know, like I, I got weepy. I got weepy when Stan Lee died. I got an X Men book, and I'm like, man, get it away. <laughs> well, I see. I I went off X Men because I got tired of the um, they're fighting for a world that hates and fears them. You know, every issue. It's the it's same okay. thing with Spider Man, though. As a kid, I never heard with great power comes great responsibility. They showed it to me. Mm-hmm. They didn't have to tell me. Ah. Spider Man was still Spider Man. You know, it's like I learned something, but he also you know fought the vulture. Hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you, that's one thing I noticed about Marvels. They didn't beat you with the moral. You know, there was probably a moral with Superman eating 700 hamburgers or whatever. Was that you know? Stan's doing? Was he more subtle about his moral? I think was he that, was. Was it a reflection of the time? I think That so. you had to be more subtle? That, and I think subtlety works better, too, because yeah. at the end of the day, I mean, we can talk about all the high moral stuff about these books, but is that what really got us into it? Do you well, know what I'm saying? Like, no, they were just more exciting. I, I, yeah. liked, I liked the... Um, you know, I was certainly attracted to to you know the the, the characters. Um, you know, and and as you mentioned, you know, I think in the beginning, I, I think um, the, the 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 moral of the story was maybe not quite as subtle, but um, uh, you know, I mean, he he literally writes out with great power there must come great responsibility at the end of that first appearance of spider-man in amazing fantasy 15 i mean that's stupid and, and he, but i never read that as a kid but but that set the tone for the rest right. of the run and then you get something something like you know dr strange who's this egotistical asshole and mm-hmm. and, and he's salty in, language on a say i know, I know. <laughs> saucy. and and but and and same thing with tony stark tony stark and 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 uh, dr strange seem to be the same character to me until they kind of take dip, different paths of how they become Tony stark had to build his heart because he didn't have one right <laughs> exactly and 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 uh dr strange had to find a way to help people without letting his ego get in the way um, well, if you think about it, too, those conflicts, too, were a big deal. Iron Man and Captain America are di- diametrically opposed. One is New Deal, you know, World War II. You got, like, Tony Stark, industrialist, kind of objectivist to an extent. They'll fight each other all day long until, you know, King the Conqueror shows up. Shows up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then they fight him. Right. <laughs> And, you know, all this stuff we're talking about right now, about the dynamics of character, that's Stan Lee. Definitely. That's the way he he set it up. He said these are real people, and they have real personalities. Uh, DC didn't have that then. And, yes, I I was getting the Avengers, and I've I've gone back and read through the earliest issues of them, and it seemed like uh, if, you know, uh, if they weren't busy fighting supervillains, they're busy fighting each other. <laughs> it's like right. you know, when Hawkeye came in, he always thought he could be the better leader than than Captain America. It just it just was a, um, you know, it, it's it, but it was a dynamic that was set up with uh, with what Stan brought to books. These are people. They have problems. They have personalities. They have egos, and you know, and it, when they Look what look look at the 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 craziness of Doctor Henry Pym. Oh, definitely. The, the, what he has gone through in comic books, uh, you know, he actually 
you know, there's a there's a moment of spousal abuse in there where he's where he smacks the wasp, and it's there's that's it, not that it's a promotion by Stanley, but it's just like here is the template of Marvel Comics. We want these characters to be relatable and they're people and they're going to have problems and they're going to reflect stuff that goes on in the world. Or like the drug abuse in Spider-Man. Right. And, and go with that. And then, and and as Douglas said earlier, that influenced DC, DC brought that in with the green lantern and, uh, um, and, and, and green arrow books. And look at the, the, the thing too, without Stanley, without Marvel, you okay? You can just do the direct link. Stanley creates Daredevil. Or I don't know who who, who drew it. Bill Everett. Bill Everett. Bill Everett. There Daredevil you go. The first one, yeah. Y'all and are Wally, true believers. And, and, Y'all uh, are facing front. And Wally Wood, <laughs> uh, Wally Wood came in, um, and um, and uh, kind of redesigned the costume, and uh, and he he added to it as well when he came in uh, and and um, started drawing the character. See, and then you take the take the take the Daredevil though, same one, right? Mm-hmm. Then they make you, know, you bring in somebody like. You know Frank Miller and then Anna Sinti. Okay. Mm-hmm. After that, what do you get? Dark Knight Returns, ah, okay. which is the modern kind of modern interpretation of Batman. You would not have the Batman that that everybody that just goes to see the movies loves without Stan Lee. There, I just gave you the link. You yeah. Know what I mean? Right. Right. And 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 I just want to add on to something else that you you just mentioned um, with Harry Osborn's drug addiction. Stan was also responsible for the beginning of the end of the comics code. Um, That's true. Because he wanted to, he knew that he had a a platform to speak to younger people um, and 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 get a message out. And he wanted to do, and this was the early '70s. He wanted to do an anti-drug story, but the comics code shackled him he could not do it and and follow the comics code Mm -hmm. but he's like i really feel this is important and i really want to do this and so the decision was made to do the story in spider-man and release it without the comics code Mm -hmm. and you know what nobody noticed that it didn't have the comics code on it Mm -hmm. and so stan was like okay then um, we can, uh, maybe we can loosen things up. And, and mm-hmm. because of that, because he was able to show, okay, we can do adult stories with a message dealing with some of these subjects. Why do there have to be these restrictions? Um, and so there was some loosening of the comics code during the seventies and it was a direct result of Stan wanting to do that story and fighting to do that story. Um, in in spider-man when he was he was still writing the book at that time and uh you know it it made a big difference and then you know i think um that allowed dc to kind of you know come in later and um basically you know killed off the comics code later in the 80s with when they were doing uh you know swamp thing and dark knight and and all of that stuff didn't have the comics code on it um Mm -hmm. you know it allowed people to say hey guess what we we don't need the comics code and eventually the comics code died it it no longer exists right um so um you know it, it, michael's been strangely quiet <laughs> i'm listening i i was going to i was going to try to pull him in uh get him, him in here pull him back in um so 
all right, Michael, uh, let's 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 give you something to to uh, to to chew on here. So, um, you know what? Um, I mean, you're you're a, a few you you're a few years older than 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 Jim or I or, or Brian. So I think your experience might be a little bit different. Um, and plus, I think you have also had the um, rare opportunity to actually meet Stan. Um, uh, so, you know, why, why don't you tell us a little bit about your experience and, um, and your thoughts? Well, thank you, Douglas. Um, yeah, I, I, I think I have a, a little bit different take on, on certain things. Um, I've, I think I've pretty much talked to you guys about this before, and I've, I've certainly written about it enough how I got into comics. I was deathly ill with pneumonia, um, as a kid and being plied with chicken soup and cold compresses and Vicks on my chest every night for weeks on end. Uh, my mother took pity on me and, um, stopped at a garage sale one day and, uh, dropped, a pile of 30 or 40 uh, comics at the end of my bed to give me something to do in my misery. And that's how I got into comics. I started reading these things. There was a bunch of DC stuff. There was Marvel stuff. I remember there were uh, uh, Dell and Charlton comics. I remember there were classics illustrated, uh, which I, I pretty much dug because I think the Hunchback of Notre Dame was one of those things. I know there was a Lone Ranger or something in them. But um, that's how I got into the man thing, which is, is one of my favorite characters. But the thing that um, got me to notice Stan Lee was the fact that uh, I noticed a really big difference, and we've touched on it already, is the um, Stan soapbox in the, in the bullpen, bullpen bulletins. I know, Douglas, you're real big on those things. Yes. Uh, DC never had anything like that in there. And, you know, as I read the comics over and over again, I started, you know, getting into the letters pages and looking at the ads and whatnot. And I was trying to figure out what these stand soapbox things were. And I began reading them. I had, was 12, 13 at the time, I guess. And, um, as much as I like the comics and, I, and that's how I got into them, I was equally intrigued by some of the, this, some of the stuff that the Stan Lee dude was writing in these, in these soapboxes. Um, there was a, a, a personal, a personalization to them that that um, struck me. I wanted more. I wanted to find out about this stuff because it wasn't just kid stuff that I was actually reading coming out of these things. There were some. Uh, there were social issues and stuff about uh, 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 world problems and uh, uh, equality and you know all that fun stuff. Well, not fun stuff, but and that was intriguing to me. So. As somebody who didn't know comics at the time, all of a sudden there was a face to to all this stuff, and his name was Stan Lee. Um, as I started collecting and and putting my fingers out there to different different companies and different characters and whatnot, um, you know, Stan's name always came up. I always thought it was interesting that there was never a real name to DC Comics. Uh, you know, any kind of figurehead or somebody promoting him, but, but there always was uh, for Marvel, and that was Stan. So when I started getting into comic conventions and whatnot, well, uh, he, he was all over the place with these things. Um, San Diego Comic-Con, which I've gone to more times than I care to admit, um, 
uh, one of the things you could always rely on was Stan Lee was there. You'd always you'd always see Stan Lee somewhere. And then one year, um, uh, there is a uh, right next to the convention center is Marriott Hotel, and a buddy of mine. Uh, he and I always used to go to breakfast, make it one of our, one of our little traditions was go to breakfast one morning, have brunch and carb up uh, for the day. And sure <laughs> enough, Stan Lee's uh, sitting in, in, at a table right next, right next to us. So we got the chance to, you know, shake his hand and, and say hi. And it was kind of a, you know, jaw dropping moment itself. But the real thing was, and the real story that I have is actually getting to beat Stan Lee. I was at a booth. Um, looking at a bunch of uh, uh, cartoon cells. And this guy came over to me. He goes, I noticed you've been here for about a half an hour. You're, you're into some of the things that you know, nobody ever looks at. Groovy ghoulies and you know all that stuff. And so we started talking for about a half an hour or so. And he finally came back and he goes, you know what? He goes, I really shouldn't do this. He goes, but I can't leave my booth. And um, I've got a, I got a ticket uh, for a, I don't know if you know the guy or know about him, but for, for a meet and greet with Stan Lee. And I said, that's great, but, you know, I could, I'm sure I can never afford anything like that. He goes, nah, he goes, we've, you know, we made a connection. Yeah, I'm going to give you a ticket. And cool. it's, uh, it's the next day. Oh, wow. And um, I think the tickets were like 200 bucks a pop. Wow. wow. And being the uh, uh, schmoozer and salesman that I am, I said, you know, I really appreciate that, but there's no possible way I can go, mostly because if my buddy that I'm here with the convention at, ever found out that I went to go see Stan Lee without him, he'd disown me. He go, I go, any chance you have an extra ticket? No, what and a sure, And sure man. enough, he came up with two tickets and gave them to Oh, wow. Hey, there you go. So wow. it was pretty cool. Anyway, long story short, uh, the next day, in a small room that nobody knew about except the ticket holders, uh, there was about uh, 50 or 60 of us. Uh, we went into the room, and as we were greeted going into the room before Stan came in, Every single person that, that came in got handed a huge stack of uh, hardcover books, graphic novels, all Marvel stuff. Hmm. History of the Hulk, the Avengers, uh, Spider-Man stuff, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff. We could have them signed if we wanted to. You know, we were allowed five things to be signed by Stan Lee in the whole shot. And then Stan Lee walks in with his uh, with his entourage. He had about two or three uh, assistants at the time. And this was, I'm pretty sure it was in 2013. And I know he wasn't doing too well. It's one of his first comic um, appearances because the year before, he had, that's when he had his pacemaker put in. Mm. So he wasn't doing too well. And I know the room was overcrowded. Uh, fire department probably should have shut it down because it was, it was too small for the crowd that was in there. Long story short, by, before we got up to actually meet him, um, he uh, almost had a fainting spell and had to leave. Mm. So we were really disappointed itself. Um, uh, but we found out uh, about uh, 20, 30 minutes later uh, that uh, we were given extra tickets for the people that didn't get the chance to actually, uh, you know, pump flesh with them and talk to them for a few minutes that he, would, uh, he was going to uh, meet us in a hotel lobby at an undisclosed location, and we'd find out the next day uh, to, uh, to speak with him because he felt bad about you know, leaving some of his fans. That's the kind of guy that Stan Lee was. And sure enough, the next day, we went back and met him. Cool. And it was That's actually awesome. pretty cool. It was actually pretty cool. 
Um, I schmoozed tickets, got a bunch of stuff. Uh, didn't get anything signed for him because I, it, I felt like that. I knew the guy. I'd seen him enough. Um, I'd gotten autographs in, in, in sketchbooks and, and, and programs and whatnot and uh, had the opportunity to talk to him. But that's the kind of guy that I knew Stan Lee to be. He was always the promoter, always talking about his craft, always talking about the writing and the artists. And he was huge when it came to meeting and greeting the fans. And with all the controversy and everything that's out there about who made what, what he did, who he supposedly ripped off, what underhanded dealings he had, you know, to leave other people uh, in his wake. Uh, that's the Stan Lee that I actually remember. Um, that's a good way to remember him, too. Uh, it, was, it was a cool way to remember him. And then, come to find out, a couple of years later, I took uh, one of my daughters, my eldest daughter, Riley, to a, uh, uh, a free comic book day in Pasadena. Sure enough, Stan Lee's there. And that's the picture I sent out to everybody that right. showed oh, okay. that Stan was there. So that was kind of cool. And she, and she knew that I collected comics and whatnot, but had no idea who Stan Lee was. I go, you'll know who he is. So she saw him, and it, seeing the pictures that I got, she recognized who it was. And proud moment for a father, she goes, hey, that's that Stan Lee guy. Well, yeah, sure enough, it was. It was. So it was kind of cool, uh, kind of a cool memory. But, but that's yeah. the Stan Lee that I remember. Well, see, no, uh, always, already... always, uh, always the willing to, to pump flesh with anybody, uh, say a kind word, take a picture, the whole shot. Even, right. even, even at, at, at the, uh, at the sake of, uh, him uh, being sick or not feeling well, whatever the case may be. So there you yeah. go. Well, and that's part of his being a promotion guy and, uh, you know, and it's, and we, as we, we've already kind of mentioned that, there was no face to DC. There was no sure. face to Dell. There was no face to Charlton. There's no, you know, it, there isn't. And you know, Marvel is is Stan Lee, and and by extension, comic books is Stan yeah. Lee. It's right. you, you, you can't. If the the controversy follows him, I was reading an article in, in Escort or Esquire magazine. Escort magazine, Jim. Escort, yeah, something you want to tell no, us? That was, Jim? I don't read the articles in that. I get them just for the pictures. Uh. So, anyway, uh, <laughs> but I was reading that just as we were setting, getting started, and you know they're touching on the you know the tangled history of Stanley in there, and and there was some there's always some reaction on social media where somebody has to come in and say well you know the guy was a was you know was a you know he took all the credit for everything there's you know and they usually get stomped on by all the rest of the commenters saying look the guy just died really <laughs> yeah you know, i mean you want to handle know, this a little better i saw something written by uh, Facebook written by um, Don McGregor, which I I believe he was a writer. Yes, he was. Uh, yes, he was. He wrote a piece talking about I can't remember what title it was. He was involved in, but there was going to be an interracial kiss. Uh, you know, the, it was going to be that Star Trek Kirk. I was and about her. to say that. Yeah, it was going to be you know it was going to be something like that, and uh, there was a lot of uh, problems with it. And he said it was Stan Lee that uh, that really you know went to the you know went to bat on that one and made sure that it that it went through uh and that it was handled properly and all that but you know he said stanley made it possible uh because it was an important moment in in comic books 
And now we don't even think about it. (laughs) Which makes it even more important that that's when it happens. We haven't even touched on, you know, because I mentioned it in my memorial forum. I said, not only did he change comic books, but he changed Hollywood. Oh, the the ten superhero movies. Well, if not for Stan Lee, no Marvel comics. No, there's no. There might have been a Superman movie, but no Marvel Cinematic Universe. No. Yeah, but but think about. Think about that. And he started that back in the 80s. He started going with that stuff back in the 80s, and it just didn't – it wasn't successful at all. But he was, one that, uh, he was one that, that held, the, held the flag up for that thing and tried to get it going. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, even in like Spider-Man is Amazing Friends, that's how I found out about Doctor Strange and the X-Men and Shane of the She-Devil. Yeah. And yes. they were in there. Yeah, exactly. But uh, but yeah, I mean you, you you look at that, but you know yeah, Superman had a modicum of success at the beginning, and uh, but it petered out and died. Uh, you know, by the time Quest for Peace came out, there. Oh. <laughs> exactly. You <laughs> cringe. You, know, those, you, you cringe. Those movies. Those movies might not have even taken place again if it weren't for Stan Lee mm-hmm. revitalizing yeah. comic books. Because that's, 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 that's 1979, right? The first one, 79? 78. 78. 78, yeah. 78. Close enough for government work. And then, <laughs> and then uh, you know, and then, you know, same thing. Batman came along in 89. 1989. 1989. Oh, yeah. And uh, that was, you know, fairly popular for a bit there, but it, it kind of, that again, petered out because, you know, they didn't really know what to do with it. And w- that's how we wound up with Joel Schumacher putting nipples on the bat suit and all of that crazy stupidness that there happened. There came back. You know, Just shot back in. Everyone But it freeze. was like, you know, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know. What killed the dinosaurs, the ice age. There you go. <laughs> that was the thing. It's in my brain You know, it, it, it's funny, Douglas, you say you, and I'll divert off of Stan Lee for a second, but well, it, it, it ties into him because, you know, he was the one that put the humanity and the realism in the comics. When 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 Schumacher put, uh, you know, that realism in the, the nipple bat suit, um, yeah, DC just basically dropped the ball on that type of thing. So oh, yeah. it's, that's a little bit too much realism. But. <laughs> well, that well, was like in a real, like a... Like a, that might be an escort magazine. I don't know. That's a, yeah, yeah. Jim probably saw a whole stack of them over here, boys. But but you know, I I mean, in my mind, I mean, yeah, there were superhero movies and so on, and and you know, the X Men came out there in two thousand, um, and that was that was fairly you know fairly successful. Um, I enjoyed it. I liked it. It, in college, it was good, but it wasn't it wasn't great. I mean, in my mind, the modern era didn't really kick off until the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movie, which I thought was, I mean, in retrospect, yeah, issues, problems, whatever. But at the, t- the time. at the time, it was, for lack of a better word, amazing. And Because you saw him spin, he did Spider-Man things. Yeah, he, It wasn't he, like that TV show where he would like climb the rope yeah. going up the side of the, the <laughs> right, building. Right, right. I mean, it, it, it really, especially the second one, I loved Spider-Man 2 with Dr. Mm-hmm. Octopus. And, and, just, and, and that was just... Uh, that really kicked it off and that and that's why we have this ripple effect but that all came because spider-man is a much more compelling character than batman or Superman. oh definitely i mean mm-hmm. batman i love batman don't get me wrong but he's kind of one note you know very one note. he's like oh i'm grim gritty i'm you know getting revenge my parents were dead blah 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 <laughs> you know guess what spider-man's parents are dead too but Right. He's not, mm-hmm. he's not a dick. 
<laughs> oh, Batman is. colon, not a dick. He's not a psych. He's not a psychopath. Yeah. Right. right. But, but Stan, here's the thing. Here's thriller. the thing with Stan Lee with me though. Um, with all the controversy, all the all the all the naysayers out there that say that uh, you know he did, he ripped this off and did uh, uh, this guy wrong and you know it, it, he it couldn't be all bad. I mean, well, yeah. There, he was the impetus for. A crapload of stuff starting in the 50s and 60s right. that revolutionized and re-energized the comics industry mm-hmm. and the writing and the movies. So right. the guy's got credit up the wazoo out there. Yeah. So, and can I say something controversial, too? This about the, the, oh I'm just going to say oh. it. I'm going to be controversial. Oh, my. All right. Am I, I going to have to put huh? an explicit lyrics? Uh, no, no, no. I, no, no, I, no, I no, am no, because no, I okay. swore on this show already. But Oh, you did. You did swore. So there you go. For the, <laughs> for the kids. All right. For the kids. You're, you're no. allowed. You're the host. Yeah, that's your thing. <laughs> I, I'm not trying to take away anything away from Jack Kirby at all. I'm not when I say this, and I mean that it is, as honestly as I can. But look at what he did at D.C. when he was by himself. Mm, exactly. I mean – like I mean, and I love the New Gods. I I, I thought it was Dark Seed forever because of the cartoon show when I was a kid. I didn't know it was Dark Side, but that's what he created there. And again, great characters and stuff. But did it make such a cultural impact as the Marvel Universe? Right. You know, Partly kids aren't going around going. He Orion. didn't have the promotion, and the promotion that's was it. Stan Lee. That's well, he it. also it, it see now. There's an example of of when Kirby would say. You know, Lee would give me a plot idea, and then I would write everything. I draw all the pages. I'd write. I put all the notes on the back of the page, and I'd write in what the dialogue should be and all that stuff. I did all that, and uh, but then when he did it, and he got his credit for doing it, and he did the writing, and he did all the drawing, and did all that stuff. I re- remember the the reviews of his work was, well, his dialogue's not so good. His, uh, you know, his writing is. He comes up with interesting characters and scenarios, but you know the writing. It's not like it was when he was working with Stan Lee. Stan had to have something to do with it, right? Yeah, it's, Definitely. it's you just look at his work alone, uh, or Kirby's work alone. Whereas when he's working with 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 Stan Lee, same. And that's uh, not Mate, taking anything away from Kirby. No, I don't, no, I don't Kirby mean to do fantastic. that at all. It's know. a it's yeah. the same thing with Steve Ditko too. Uh, you look at Steve Ditko's solo work, um, and it's just not as it's just not as compelling. Um, there's, it's not as, as I said, it's not as well written. You know, they weren't, this, they weren't as good of uh, writers as, as Stan right. was. And, and Stan Lee had a certain voice that you can recognize when you right. see his writing. You do, you can see it in there that that's that this. This has got to be Stan Lee. If you're reading something you didn't realize it was written by Stan Lee, you might find yourself, man, it's. Oh yeah, this is Stan Lee. You know, it, because it, he has a voice that's recognizable. Yeah, yeah. there's his a symbiosis is, there. Yeah. I think his Definitely. influence I mean, goes beyond it, him. It, 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 mm-hmm. There, there, the 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 team was was you know the what's 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 the term I'm looking for the 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 sum is better than its parts. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. and that's a perfect example is uh, you know Lee and Ditko and and, and Lee and Kirby. Right, right. And then you know, and Lee, I don't know how involved he was into the idea of starting to 
you know, the sprawling storylines that would connect over time and between titles and all that. I don't know if that was Stan's innovation, or but he set up a kind of a, a comic book company that would allow for such creativity to which set the template for the Marvel Universe movies. They said, oh, wait definitely. a minute, Marvel comic books have been doing this kind of thing where you've got one title here that's got part of the story, and then it moves it over into this title, and it and it combines all these characters together. And you know, they started following that model uh, that Stan provided the the the, uh, the the groundwork for to for it to flourish. I mean, I'll even go one step further to say you wouldn't even have a lot of the stuff from my childhood and, you know, stuff that's big now, I don't think Star Wars would be as big as it would be without Stanley and Marvel. You know? That's that's quite possibly true. I, I mean, I think, you know, um, George Lucas, you know, is an, is, is an avow, avowed fan of, mm-hmm. of you know, of, of the early Marvel stuff. And, and um, you know, Think about it. Marvel, uh, Marvel produced the uh, the monthly comic book too, which were amazing when I was a kid. Which kind of, yeah, which you know, which kind of helped keep that uh, Star Wars legacy alive between the movies. You know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. To, for for a certain segment. I mean, I, I don't think it was as um, you know as widespread uh, in the mainstream as as uh, you know as the movies, obviously. But but it certainly kept it alive. You know for you know, for folks like for folks like us who actually bought the comics on the newsstand. Oh, see now that's a that's a sore spot for me now. I miss the newsstand so much. Yeah, because <laughs> yes. I remember when I was twelve years old. It was ninety two. So there you go. You can do the math. But somebody was like, "You ever been to a comic book store?" And I'm like, "You're talking crazy talk. There's no such thing. What's a comic book store? You're talking about Kroger." That's what you're talking about. Right. The spinner rack, and it's whatever's there. I might miss X-Men this month. The Piggly oh, Wiggly. Yeah. yeah. Get Piggly Wiggly. There you well, go. Mine was Eagle Girton Drug. That was Ooh, mine. That's, that's the best. where I went. We used to, we used to, there was a, there was actual, an actual newsstand. When I started collecting comics in earnest, I was living in Corning, New York. And this was, you know, like 76, 77, 78. And, um, I, uh, there was a there was a newsstand, Felice's newsstand on Main Street in, in Corning. I used to go there all the time, and you know, bought comics, bought Famous Monsters of Filmland there, you know, all the you know, d- different magazines. Plus, they had like a, a couple of pinball machines in the back. So, you know, Rick and I used to <laughs> used to you know play pinball and grab some comics and uh, you know probably some snacks and so on. And it, it, we, you know, it was just a great great place, you know. And uh, and, and then when we moved. When we moved up here um, to the Albany area, um, ironically, I mean, we we bought most of our stuff at at the local pharmacy here here in in, in my little small town. But um, the same year we moved here, a, a a comic shop opened in Albany proper called Fanico, which I've talked about before on the show, um, and. You know, we started going there on, you know, we of course, we'd have to get, you know, mom or dad to drive us down there on the weekends uh, to go. And, you know, um, but that was my first experience with it was with an actual comic book shop. And that was just, like blew my mind as as a 12 year old in 1978, you know, 79. 12 is a big year for comics. So. Yeah, I, I, I think so. Well, I'm I'm going to one up all of you because you know that uh, you know that saying uh, or that meme or meme or whatever it is that uh, 
that's out that says, uh, yeah, I may be old, but uh, I got to see all the cool concerts. Uh-huh. Yeah. You've seen or heard that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, oh, yes. I, I may be old, but but I I had all the, the cool experiences uh, with uh, with buying comics. Mm-hmm. I bought my comics off of, not only off of Spinarak, but at a 7-Eleven. Ooh. Yeah. 7-Eleven. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. And, and talk cups. about it. Douglas, Douglas says he, you know, he got his stuff and there were pinball machines and this, that, and the other. And I'm, I'm right there with him because not only was it a 7-Eleven, but there were mad magazines and famous monsters there. And there were all kinds of cool promotions. And then, you know, I took my bike, uh, you know, across dangerous streets that I shouldn't with my friends. And all of a sudden, one day at 7-Eleven, holy crapola, Marvel has come out with Slurpee, Marvel Slurpee. Oh, I love those. Yes. We were there, you know, every other day as much as we could collecting all all those things. So, yeah, yeah, I I grew up in this. I remember being very covetous of those because there was no 7-Eleven anywhere near Uh, where I lived. Same with me. And it's like, I still don't have them. I can't get, I can't get these Marvel cups. I can't get the, the, I can't get the rock cups because I remember the, I, we used to get, um, television, you know, on our cable, we used to get WPIX out of New York. And so we'd see 7-Eleven commercials, you know, and I remember they, they did the um, rock and roll cups there for a while too, after, yep. you know, the super, you know, I just, I still remember the jingle 7-Eleven has slurpy rock cups, you know, um, <laughs> and, and, you know, it was just, uh, it was just crazy, you know, but, but that that's all, all because, you know, we loved comics and we were willing right. to kind of, um, you know, travel to, to, to find them. And it was partly because of the connection that Stan created. It wasn't just the characters. It wasn't just the stories, although those were great, but it was the connection that he made with the fans. He cared yep. about the fans. He cared about the people that were basically giving him his paycheck because if we didn't buy the comics, he didn't get paid. And, and, you know, by by creating that relationship, he created a relationship um, where people cared, um, not mm-hmm. just about the comics, but about him, about the company. Um, and that's Great. why and that's why you um, that's why you saw such a, a, a division amongst comic fans. Why there were Marvel versus DC was such a huge um, thing for a long time and still is to it to a degree. Oh, definitely. Um, well, one thing too about comics too is that if it wasn't for Stanley and Marvel, it gave me everything I'm into, and I'm not even joking. Mm-hmm. I, you know, like what's Dungeons and Dragons? Mm-hmm. I'll get nerdier. Let's do that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> now, bef- before we get too far away from the new Stan experience of comic books, we old guys get to tell the young people. We had the distinct pleasure of hearing the store manager walk over and say, it's not a library. Either buy it <laughs> or put it back. Yes. There you go. <laughs> uh, well, I, but but the, the great thing was, is like I knew I was going to buy it. So <laughs> did you guys ever do the little hide it behind a magazine? Because, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I have the money right now. I got to go home and ask dad Ab- for a quarter. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I have a friend in our hometown. We had a Ben Franklin store. And one time I found a, like behind a magazine an awesome stash of really good comics. And the, the guy that's my friend now, he goes, what the heck? He goes, you found my stash at Ben Franklin. <laughs> I'm that's, like, yep, that was funny. me. I remember doing that with the very first issue of Epic Illustrated. Um, oh, see, that's and, good stuff. And, uh, you know, I think I was in seventh grade when that came out. And so 
I was probably a little too young to be reading Epic Illustrated. <laughs> oh, so was I. But I was, but I was more than ready for it, and uh, I remember. I was heavy metal. That was the holy but, grail. But I, I, it was because it was a full color magazine on glossy paper. It was really expensive. It was, I think, like a dollar ninety five, <laughs> which there doesn't sound like a lot now. But you know, back then that was like you know five or six comics. Um, my so, brother and I were like very much, you know, if it's, a, if it's over a dollar, we're not buying it. Yeah. GI Joe annual. That's not happening. Yeah. So <laughs> I remember, I remember taking, I was like, I don't have the money now, but I'm going to hide it. So I, I took it from where it was displayed and I hid it like behind other magazines in the magazine, like down on the bottom shelf where nobody looks, you know, uh, and, and kind of hid it back there until I could, um, you know, until I could, uh, you know, actually, uh, you know, get to, uh, <laughs> get, get back to buy it. it. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, I, I probably came back within a week and fortunately it was still there, but. All right. Uh, but... See, now I had a relationship with the, uh, 7-Eleven manager, Douglas. Uh, I had him hold the stuff for me because, uh, you know, comics, what, 25, 35 cents, the giant size were 50 cents. Right. I had him hold stuff for me because, you know, I only came with a dollar and that got me a couple of books and a Slurpee, but all of a sudden I found out there were about five or six more books that I needed. So I had him hold them all. While I came, when I came back the next day with, you know, whatever other change I could uh, crop up and go from there. With, so with more money. Yeah. That, that always helps. So yeah. he, 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 he did, he, that was kind of the origin of the, of, of pulling books like they have now. Oh yeah. At the comic shops. And I'm going to have to get going. Yes. I have to, yes. I have to the ballet of the day, but I wanted to make one, can I make one more point? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. My, my, Brian's final thought. All right. But it's like, we've lost Stanley. But his, of course, his work and, and the people he's influenced have, have been around. This is a big thing with me, especially with comics. It's like I love the movies, but it's like find the people that did this stuff. Like I went to a convention once and Jim Starlin was there. Yeah. And nobody cared. It, you know, I went to sad. another convention and Marv Wolfman was there and there was no line, but there was a, a line to get your picture taken with a, a you know a girl dressed like a fairy or something because you know it's a girl. <laughs> but. but <laughs> But it's one of those things. It's like we see his influence in all these people, and it's like we lost one. We've lost Jack Kirby. We've lost a ton of people. You know, I'm a big fan of Jack Davis. He's a local, you know, Georgia guy that did EC Comics and oh, yeah. stuff for the Georgia Bulldogs. He's amazing. He's gone, gone. Yeah. It's like yeah. go see these people that make these right. things, right? Because they are people. I never got to meet Gary Gygax. He's gone forever. Influenced my life more than he'd ever know. You know what I mean? Like. <laughs> It's like go meet these people. There's real people that do this stuff. Yeah. You yeah. Know, Chris Hemsworth has tons of money. <laughs> <laughs> wow. There you go. Nothing against Take that Hemsworth. Oh. Well, obviously with Brian there is, but you know. <laughs> um, all right. Uh well, uh, Jim, do you have any final thoughts? It, this might have might as well be as good a point as any to uh, cuz I have got to get moving here pretty soon myself too, so. So do I. Uh well, I think we've pretty much covered it as much as I can say. Uh, always been, have been a Marvel kid. Um, I wrote that piece uh, Monday, read it back to myself, got to the end of it to where I was just saying, you know, uh, for the influence he had on me in being an artist and for the hours of uh, fighting Dr. Doom with the Fantastic Four and uh, Ultron with the Avengers and uh, um, uh, Magneto with the X-Men, I'm eternally grateful to Stan the Man Lee. Very good. And uh, there you go. Michael? 
I, I'm the same way. I have I have different characters that I loved. I, I never got into the X-Men. I never got into the Avengers. But I was a huge Hulk fan. Hmm. I've always been a huge Fantastic Four fan. Right. Uh, two of two of Stan's uh, 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 greatest uh, um, properties um, that live on in the in the cinematic universe, and um, uh, from 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 his promotion and soapboxes to his uh, 1976 campaign where he was Uncle Sam saying you have to buy this. Remember that? Oh, mm-hmm. right. um, you know all that stuff. Uh, yeah. he's he, he he is the face of comics. Not just Marvel, but he's he's the face mm-hmm. of comics. So yeah. He's going to be missed, definitely. Yeah, a dog's named Thor. There, there you go. <laughs> there you go. That's it. what better tribute than uh, to name your dog after a mythological character that was. See, and, and, and my dog's middle name is Raven, though. So, ah, see, yes. there we go. So, well, hmm. o- Odin had two ravens. Well, this is the. I had somebody at work, and they go, "Oh, you mean like Fred Allen Post and your English teacher?" I'm like, "No, the Teen Titan." <laughs> exactly. Exactly. True literature. And, and then they look go. at you with a screwed up face, right, Brian? And then I look back, and I'm like, "Hey, well, there you go." <laughs> for, um, for for me, uh, you know, and I think I mentioned it on Facebook. I mean, the, the characters and the writing and the and the promotion and the and, and all of the. Um, you know, enthusiasm and positivity that 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 he had were 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 great, um, but but for me, I think the thing that probably influenced me the most in retrospect that I didn't really think about at the time, but you know, the 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 soapboxes, you know, uh, oh yeah, where uh, reading about things like bigotry and racism and um, all of that stuff when I was a young kid, and I'm like, you know, I think it really affected me because. I, I I'm one of the most progressive people around that I can think. I'm sure there were other influences in my life, but I look back at that and I and I was rereading some of those things because people were posting them. Like my God, you know, think this stuff was, you know, of its time and ahead of its time at this at, at the mm-hmm. same at the same moment. You know, he wrote that original uh, soapbox about racism and and bigotry. Um, in 1968, you know, right during the, you know, when all the the 60s were really kind of coming apart with all the assassinations, you know, with Martin mm-hmm. Luther King and Malcolm X and all of that. Um, and I, I've actually heard it said that uh, Professor X and Magneto were modeled after Martin Luther King and Malcolm X because they had opposing viewpoints on how to um handle the uh basically the the bigotry towards mutants that that to me is is more of the the influence on me um you know and i i I tried to style myself after stan when i started even when i started drawing my own comics it wasn't enough to just draw the comics i wanted to do a whole book and you know my first comic i think i posted i i actually did my own version of the bullpen bulletins um, <laughs> yeah, yeah i remember and, and and it's like i look back and i'm like so you know it makes sense that i would eventually you know be publishing myself i mean <laughs> it, it really it it it, it uh it really influenced me in, in ways that I don't think I understood at the time, but I can l- kind of look back at now and go, yeah, I got that from Stan. You know? Legacy. And, um, and that really means a lot. And, 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 and as you mentioned, Michael, I mean, there's a lot of controversy, you know, and a lot of, you know, my, my 
adoration and and uh, idolatry of of Stan Lee uh, has certainly changed over the years as as information has kind of come out about some of the things that happen behind the scenes. But I don't think I can honestly say that um, he's a bad person. Uh, I I think he did so much good uh, Mm -hmm. and he did so many things right that, um, you know, I, I, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to allow some of those bad things to really uh, haze over that. And I I think there's some people that, that get so hung up on some of the, the bad things he did. And he did do some bad things that they, they, they won't, see the all the good things that he did and all right. the great influences that he did and all the uh, and all the good things that he did yeah, um, i mean not, for crying out loud he turned out to be a human being yeah yeah, yeah. Exactly. exactly exactly and we forget about that mm-hmm. you know so um so if you know if there's anything that you know i want to end the show with it's it's that it's just that he was human and he tried hard to do you know do good things and, and offer a positive message. Um, you know, he, even though he, you know, would sometimes poke fun at the quote unquote distinguished competition, I don't think he ever really disparaged them in any kind of a, a negative way. It was always kind of a gentle tease, um, mm-hmm. you know, because um, after all, they were all together making comics and, and doing something that, you know, we, we all love it's an art form that is um genuinely american uh i mean obviously it's spread throughout the world um and has origins elsewhere as well but um i think the comic book itself um was born here in this in this country and 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 it's it's kind of like jazz you know the elements of jazz came from other parts of the world but it didn't mm-hmm. happen until it came here and coalesced and and comics right. are pretty much I think in that same boat. Um, right. and, and he was somebody that came along almost from the very beginning. I mean, he, he, you know, um, 1941 is his first credit, you know, and the first comic book maybe was like 1935 or 34, I think when they were just repackaging newspaper strips, um, as, mm-hmm. as books and original material didn't really start until, you know, like I think 1930, eight maybe 1937 yeah, yeah um, so you know he he was really right there uh in the mm-hmm. beginning of the of of it and and you know fostered it through all of its ups and downs and then ultimately became its savior um in in mm-hmm. a lot of ways um and that that i think is the 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 greatest legacy that he he probably has and it's just he's entertained uh millions and millions probably billions of people over mm-hmm. the over the years you know um when you think about it um no between, denying that. you know he's been able to do one thing that very few people have been able to do and that's change the world yes and maybe uh, a corner of it he changed you know in the entertainment industry but he he made a change in the world and, and he's inspired a lot of people to mm-hmm. be creative and be their own person and, and, and be true to their selves. And, um, and I think that's, that's, a, that's an amazing thing. It really mm-hmm. is. 
Um, if you're going to have a legacy, if you're going to leave a legacy, that's a that's a hell of a legacy to leave right there. <laughs> that's true. Absolutely. Well, on on that note, uh, I think it's time to wrap this up. Well, thanks thanks again, uh, guys, for for um, for coming on the show and uh, on such short notice and uh, My giving, pleasure. giving such a great tribute. I think this is one of those topics where we could quite literally talk all day. Um, we could. But uh, but we're not going to. No. <laughs> so so uh, thanks again, and um, we'll we'll see you soon here on Assault of the Two Headed Space Mules. Mules is copyright 2018 by Douglas Arthur for Dugside Syndicate. All other content is copyright its respective holders and is used under the doctrine of fair use. You can contact the show by sending email to spacemules at yahoo.com or you can follow on Twitter at spacemules and head over to Facebook to check out the official Assault of the Two-Headed Space Mules fan page for all the latest news, shows, and celestial ephemera. And don't forget, Check out cafepress.com slash space mules for all your space mule swag. T-shirts, hats, coffee mugs, you name it. We have all the highest quality merchandise you can shake a Zuni doll at. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes so you'll never miss an episode. All previous episodes are available now to stream or download at spacemules.com. Thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. Be sure to tune in next time when you'll hear my brother say... Parker, hello. You're fired. Why? Dogs catching frisbees? Pigeons in the park? A couple of geezers playing chess? Not now. I was thinking maybe the bugle could show another side in New York for a change. We got six minutes to deadline, Jonah. We need page one. I don't pay you to be a sensitive artiste. I pay you because... Still not now. I pay you because for some reason that psycho Spider-Man will pose for you. Spider-Man won't let me take any more pictures. You've turned the whole city against him. A fact I'm very proud of. Now... Get your pretty little portfolio off my desk before I go into a diabetic coma. Boss, your wife's in the line. She said she lost a checkbook. Thanks for the good news. Mr. Jameson, please, isn't there any of these shots you can use? I really need the money. Aww. Miss Brandt? Yes? Get me a violin. Five minutes to deadline, Jonah. All right, run a picture of a rancid chicken. Here's a headline. Food poisoning scare sweeps city. Some food got poisoned? I'm a little nauseous, yeah. All right, Mr. Jameson. Sticks. Robbie, there's your page one. Masked menace terrorizes town. I told you he's not a menace. And I told you. I'll take care of it. I'll give you 150. 300. That's outrageous. Done. Give this to the girl. Thank you. Bye-bye. This week's episode is brought to you by Plank's Brand Ketchup. Consistently chosen as Germany's top tomato ketchup, Plank's is a quantum leap above all other brands in both flavor and consistency. Thick, smooth, and salty, just like the premier German chefs who created it, Planks will be in constant demand by your family and friends, so be sure to stock up. Stewed from the finest German tomatoes, with an unwavering eye on quality, and with a seemingly magic blend of herbs and spices, Planks will top your burgers and meatloaf with a consistency that is unmatched by other ketchups. Plank's kitchen scientists have unlocked the quantum code of flavor and have applied it to this prize-winning condiment in such a way that your taste buds will be energized at a subatomic level. The perfect ketchup all the time, every time. Plank's. 
the constant condiment for every meal. Ask for it by name and make a quantum leap in your kitchen. Hut Jars Adorn Ghoul, a new collection of singles and other odd bits from Flaming Schwarzkopf Experience is out now. 25 tracks spanning the career of the greatest unknown experimental ambient band. A diverse selection of percussive noise, melancholy swirls of textured ambient washes, and slightly sinister tone poems of a peculiar nature. And while the music tickles the dark places of your brain, Hut Jar's Adorn Ghoul contains a secret. Can you guess what it is? Do you dare contemplate the paradoxical puzzle that lays in front of you? A starter, a primer, a jumping off point, an intersection between cosmic radiation and the murky fog-bound marsh of a brain addled by too much exposure to vitamin K. Hut Jar's Adorn Ghoul is all this and more. Come hear it for yourself. Come experience the Flaming Schwarzkopf Experience. Available now on all major digital platforms for download or streaming, including iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Apple Music, Google Play, Tidal, Deezer, YouTube, and many more. Hut Jars Adorn Ghoul is an anagram for quality. With 25 tracks, there's bound to be at least one you might like. Also available from Flaming Schwarzkopf Experience, People of the Dark soundtrack, and Music for Colonoscopies Volume 1. Check them out. I'm going to go see Dana Gold tonight. Really? There you at the, go. At the Acme Comedy cool. Club, yeah. That is awesome. I'm really jealous. Yep. I'm really is jealous. Is that where all the anvils come from? The Acme? Comedy yes, that's club. where they come from. All right. right. In the back there, there's a room. <laughs> that poor coyote. Yeah. <laughs> He's always there picking up something else. Yeah, speaking, so. speaking, speaking of of Dana Gould, real quick, does does uh, anybody else watch Stand Against Evil, or am I the only one? Uh, I, I would if I could get it. it. It's you don't get IFC. No. Oh, that's really. Sucks. It does suck. No, I don't get it either. Not uh-huh. anymore, anyway. Huh. Is that like a Dish Network thing, or uh, like uh, IFC's like Comcast has it, but they're evil. So yeah, well, we have it here. I have Spectrum up where where I live, um, which used to be Time Warner. Um, so I don't know. Anyway, I enjoy it. It's a good show. If you can ever, I it might be on Hulu. Um, mm-hmm. If any of you have Hulu, but you, you, you know what comes on IFC now? Uh, what is that? Reruns of Night Flight. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's right. So they have that's those. good times. Well, anyway, I highly recommend the show, and uh, if you can ever get a hold of it, it's it's worth watching. It's a lot of fun. Now, I, unlike previous shows, I haven't really prepared uh, as much as I probably should have for this, um, but I feel like I've got a pretty good grip on the on the subject matter. Um, anyway, um, but I didn't, I didn't write an introduction or anything like I usually do. Um, Uh-oh. yeah, I know. We're winging gonna, it. We're just going to wing it. <laughs> it's okay. You can, it's okay to wing it. It's a, this is a feelings can, episode anyway. Yeah. You, you can write. write an introduction later. It's a very special episode of Assault oh. on the Two-Headed Space Mules. <laughs> Stay away from that bike shop. <laughs> it's the episode I lose my virginity. Oh my Whoa. God! Ooh, hello, TMI. Does your, does your wife and child know? <laughs> oh wait a minute, that's right. 
Hey, now that, Brian, now that Brian mentioned uh, the feelings, uh, you need to have feelings as, you know, the background music, Douglas, somewhere. Definitely. Uh, just like that very famous episode of The Gong Show where every contestant sang the song Feelings. Exactly. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, it was a classic. I, I saw it when it happened. It was uh, it was pretty amazing. Uh, was that before Chuck Barris became, you know, a CIA operative? Uh, I think that was during... Um, oh, okay. During that, yeah, it was. We'll never know. It was a coded <laughs> message to our operatives in, uh, you know, Saigon and other places. So. Okay, was that before or after the Carol Burnett, uh, you know, family sketch that had whatever Carol's character was called uh, on the Gong Show singing feelings? Oh, now do you remember that? That, that is that. That's. that's uh, I don't remember that, but that's that's a good bit of trivia. Who knows? We're we're through the looking glass right now. That's yeah, a good, yeah, I know. Dog catching its tail. I know, I know. Oof. 